Hello and welcome to another episode of Hawks and Handsaws. I think we might be on our arbitrary third season at this point, so welcome <laughs> to season three as we continue to talk about stuff. As of this moment, as of recording, we are averaging about eight listens per episode, so not not bad. We're hitting a whole like pretty large household. <laughs> Maybe. So uh-huh. not bad. Is it your house or mine? It's definitely not my house. Oh, <laughs> so wow. it's your house. <laughs> if you just play it to everybody in your house, yeah, it should be should be all of our be listeners. Good. Yeah. Yeah. We uh actually have a couple episodes at ten. Ten listens per Saying we should talk stats after this, but that's not why we're here. We're here to talk about media, entertainment, rather, and should they be responsible for more than just entertaining you? Um, Eric rephrased it to be something like, "What obligations does entertainment have to its consumers?" It sounds very uh, scientific and business sounding, but the, I guess like the. The real question is, should the stuff we watch for fun be more than just fun? Should it be something something more? So I'm going to give a small anecdote of uh, me on YouTube the other day. I was on my okay. phone watching YouTube videos. Definitely not the best place to watch a YouTube video, but it was just the, what I had. Scrolling through, I saw a short. I had military people in it. I like military stuff. So I, I clicked it. And it was basically a TikTok that had become a YouTube short. Right? So like just the the lowest of low effort videos in terms of like thinking through a plot of a video. You know, uh-huh. like I had the text at the top, it's like when the, the base commander, you know, does an inspection or whatever. And so this dude drives up in like a smart car or something, like a little I don't know, a glorified golf cart. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> Those little off-road golf cart things. Yeah. Um, so that's the station commander or whatever. And then like these four soldiers are like, oh no. And so they're hurrying to clean things up before he walks in because everything was trashed before he walks in. And then he walked in and you know they're all at attention and everything's put together or whatever. And it was super low effort. It was as predictable as it could get. And I felt angry at the end of my 30 seconds that I had stayed the whole entire time to watch this dumb video. Because it didn't actually achieve the bar of being entertaining at all. It was, yeah, that's of course what you would do in a video with that title. I get it. But you didn't even do anything like funny in it. It was just boring. And then as I got out of it, it had been watched 484 million times. And then I thought about it. You know, like, if it was 30 seconds, maybe a minute, but... Let's just pretend it was 30 seconds. That means there is 240 million minutes of people's time on this planet dedicated to watching these people pick up a couple chairs and like, t- like push them in under a desk and then stand up at attention. And that's supposed to be family entertainment. Should that person be held responsible for wasting that much time on this world? <laughs> like, Shouldn't there be something more to this? You know? And this is kind of what got me thinking about it a little bit. So what do you think? Is that just a colossal waste of human time? Like, Of course it is. Okay. But who are we to judge? 
<laughs> how people waste their time. <laughs> we are the people hosting this podcast. We can do what we want. <laughs> We're not wasting anybody's time. Only 10 people's time. <laughs> <laughs> 10 people's at time max. for an hour and a half apiece. Yeah. So we can't help be held accountable for anything. No, but like it's with an audience that big, I feel like you got to have some sort of responsibility for stuff. Well, here's Perhaps. the thing. Would yeah. the audience be that big if the people didn't choose to watch it? I don't think that's... Is that a question? I don't know. No. Of course it's a question. If, if people don't choose to watch it, then yes, there would be zero audience. Exactly. So here's the thing. Um, this is, I guess... <laughs> In relation to creating content, whether that's for entertainment or for whatever it is, um, I don't know that it's really up to the creator. I don't know if they have some moral obligation to create things that will be pleasing to their audience. Okay. People can choose to watch it or not, and that's where that comes into play. If it tanks hard, it tanks hard but it's not because they didn't fulfill a moral obligation to make it good quality content. Okay. Are there other obligations to making like if you are a businessman and you make a living off of entertainment and you want to make money off of entertainment um, or maybe you're supporting your family off of your ability to get people to purchase your entertainment or to throw money at it. However it is, you know, if it's, mm -hmm a film in the theater, if it's a book on the shelf, you name it, then you have a moral obligation to provide for your family, I suppose, in which case your obligation is to get people to purchase your product. Um, as far as like what that content needs to be, it can, you're the creator. You, you do what you do what you want. It's, the audience's choice after that, I think. Okay. So you're breaking it into two different things. You're talking about like financial success, where if your job is associated with media and getting people to spend money on entertainment and you do a poor job of it, you're not fulfilling the obligation of your occupation. Right? Sure. Is that kind of what you're saying? Like you're right. Just a bad but that's not always necessarily employee. moral because we're – if you're getting into obligations, like is it a moral obligation or what kind of obligation are we talking about? If we're talking morals, that obviously gets very tricky very quickly. Um, right. Most of the time, I think morals have to deal with our treatment of other people. Um, and really in creating content, I don't know that you're treating other people so much um, as just shooting ideas out there into the wind and other people kind of catch hold of them. But if you have to support others via the success with which your content is received, that's something altogether different. If it's just you okay. looking to make make it rich, that's you have no moral obligation so far as I can tell. Okay. So the idea concept, though. Aren't some ideas inherently dangerous? To be Potentially, like, yeah. thrown out there. Yeah. I think that's kind of where I'm going with this obligation of presenting dangerous ideas 
or a like very propaganda? particular view of the world. Not necessarily propaganda, because like propaganda can be. I mean, it's definitely trying to influence people to think or do something, right? That's what propaganda is. It's like as a political intent to it, but it, it could be a. I don't want to say positive, but like <laughs> propaganda can be used for supporting positive regimes or good regimes and bad regimes and all, all in between, right? Like it, it's more of a tool, less of a. People have a very negative con- connotation when it comes to propaganda, but yes. I, I see it as a, a political, politically infused, persuasive pieces. Whatever you propaganda yes. as, but I feel like one of the <clears throat> the major things with propaganda is that it's often uh, dishonest in how it does it. It's misleading. Sure. So uh, that's why it has a negative connotation. I, I agree. So, like World War Two, I'm going to bring up World War Two a lot in this podcast episode, probably. But in Germany, there was propaganda demonizing. The Americans about how vicious they were, about you know how evil they were. They're going to come and kill everybody, destroy everybody, like destroy all your stuff you have. That's what the Americans and like the Allied powers are going to do, not just the Americans. There's a lot of allies fighting in World War II, and then in the United States, there's propaganda demonizing the Germans and the Nazis, saying they're really bad. They're trying to kill you. They're coming to the U.S. or whatever, right? I, I would argue that the United States and allied propaganda had a more accurate picture <laughs> of the Nazis than the Nazis had of the allied forces in the propaganda. Possibly. But it's still yeah. incomplete and therefore slightly misleading. It simplifies can, it to the point where it's, yeah. Yeah. It's too it's simple. very simplified. There, there's, no, there's no nuance there. Sure. Yeah. Okay. So is is propaganda bad and should we avoid propaganda? Or is it just ideas we're throwing out there and it's up to the audience to catch on to those ideas, like you said? Well, in the case of propaganda, it's I feel like the what we had talked about earlier, right? It's you create content, people view or consume your content or whatever. In the case of propaganda, it is imposed upon its audience. <laughs> you have to watch it. You have to see it, you know, um, because the government funds it. It puts it out there so that you cannot get away from it. Okay. Well, you mentioned the website Timu to me a few weeks <laughs> back. I looked it up once and it's on my my phone. It's on my wife's phone on every website that we have that supports targeted ads. Yep. I feel like it's getting to me a lot better than the government does. <laughs> so. Yep. I, I feel like imposing something is difficult. Like the government is not putting you in chairs to look at the stuff, but <laughs> I feel like the, the reality of media is if you go to media, you do want to watch, you're interrupted by ads, by targeted messages to you where it's hard mm-hmm. to avoid. So 
So you're arguing then that we have advertisements which have reached propaganda level. Probably. Yeah. If not worse. Probably if not worse. So these advertisements, are you counting these amongst uh, the other various forms of media? Yeah. A lot of these advertisements have videos, have actors, have plots, have, on the very simplest level, graphic design. Right? <laughs> like these are, these are things that are crafted to a lot of, in a lot of cases, entertain or excite, I guess. Excite is probably a better word. Well, the reason why I ask is because you, you'd started this off with the idea of entertainment. Advertising, yeah. though, it has a very particular purpose, and that is it does get you to spend your money. It does. Yeah. Okay. I think that's fair. So pulling back to entertainment a little bit. Um, let's talk about dangerous things that are not explicitly like stated. So there's been a lot of... Um, push back to video games since video games have been a thing when it comes to violence and sexuality, right? Of like, if our kids play these video games, they're going to become violent because they're playing violent video games. Right. So the most popular video game franchise right underneath sports. <laughs> so sports is number one, um, all your soccer games and whatever. But GTA. underneath that is Grand Theft Auto V and Call of Duty, right? Which is, I wouldn't say as violent as they come, honestly. Like, we, we've we've hit pinnacles of violence in video games now, untouched <laughs> by GTA and Call of Duty. But those are the big ones. Is that is that bad that war and crime are the most popular video game entertainment things and should we like is that bad i guess yeah i think so probably okay do they have a moral obligation to make sure their messages in those video games that since they're reaching kids they're reaching teens they're reaching everybody as many people as you can in a video game besides playing soccer <laughs> should they be making sure that their message is helpful for humanity. I mean, my my gut reaction is that it would be nice if everybody came up with these positive, uplifting messages, things that build up and all that stuff. But again, they're only successful because people wanted it. Sure. And... You know, people are clamoring for this kind of entertainment, so they buy that kind of entertainment. It is now successful. They want to be involved in shoot 'em ups and steal 'em ups and whatever kind of ups there might be. And, and that's why it's there. If it was a lousy game or a game that didn't do something that the audience wanted, then it would be unsuccessful. So was it their obligation to change their successful 
format, their successful business format, to something that uplifts humanity now and changes their ways. I, as much as I don't play those games or want those games for myself, I don't think it's their obligation. Okay. Just to make sure that we're on the same page, we, we both agree that war is bad, <laughs> generally <laughs> speaking. Um, these are games about war, or at least Call of Duty is. The most recent one is Modern Warfare 2, I want to say. I even don't know what it's about. It's probably continuing Modern Warfare, which is a reboot of Modern Warfare and Modern Warfare 2. <laughs> if we ran out of original ideas a while ago in that series. But... Um, I want to talk about a game that most people didn't play. And it's called uh, Spec Ops The Line. And it's a third-person shooter. A modern military, kind of Call of Duty-ish or whatever. And uh, it's based off of Apocalypse Now, basically. Okay. Um, it's kind of like the under underlying current of the story. And you're, you're going and you're you're getting further and further away from your orders and further and further away from what you're supposed to be doing, but you, the player are continuing to do it. Um, like, and, and it involves you, the player as making this happen. Um, occasionally on like the, the death screens, like when you die and there's like the little screen that says, do you want to retry or quit or whatever? Like some of the tool tips are things like, are you having fun yet? <laughs> you know, as you're continuing to commit more and more atrocities towards people, like, is, are you having fun? <laughs> is, this, is this cool to you? You know, like the game is messing with you a little bit. And in the end mission, you have white, a white phosphorus artillery gun and uh, you're supposed to take out an enemy in placement. White phosphorus, by the way, is against the G Geneva Convention and is a war crime to use at this point like in, in real world stuff. But your squad has gotten to the point where they don't feel like they have any other choice. Like th this is the only way to do it, only way to survive, only way to complete the mission. Use the white phosphorus against these enemies. And so you get into this little tactical screen and you can see your character's face reflected on the screen. And you're launching this white phosphorus and you, you wipe out the enemy in placement. When you show up, it was actually a refugee camp of all the civilians that were trying to escape you and you just killed everybody. <laughs> Roll credits. Right? Like that is a shoot 'em up game that has a very anti-war message to it. Uh-huh. Right? That makes you feel sick, makes you feel gross. War is bad. But it's a war game. You get to shoot people, you get to do Fun shooty stuff, grenades, when you get to do the things. But it has a message to it. In sure. Call of Duty, it doesn't have that message to it necessarily. Um, uh -huh. it's, it's all about like the operator, right? You have like the cool guy with the beard. You got the uh, ghost guy or whatever. And you just basically kind of do what you want without repercussions. Because you're the cool operator guy. That's what you do. In the trailer for the, the reboot, the guy is like, you draw the line wherever you need it. 
you know, that that's his stance on following protocol, <laughs> you know, just, just do whatever you want, you know? So like, I remember in the games I played the original modern warfares, we captured this guy who knew something and, uh, we had to make sure not to kill him. So I shot him in the leg and we grabbed him and I gave him to my buddies and the scene, like there's a cutscene, and it's him tied to a chair with two of my squad mates and a car battery. <laughs> and they're going, <laughs> I'm like, all right, here we go. You know, obviously about to torture this guy. And these are the good guys, right? Like these are the British SAS operators. I'm going to go torture some dude that I just captured. You know, and everybody's like high five and like, yeah, we got, we got him guys. And I'm like, is that, is that a dangerous message? It might be. I know in yeah. the modern games, like the ones that just came out, um, there's a gun, a gun guy, like a arms dealer, I want to say, and he's not talking. So you kidnap his wife and kid and threaten to kill him. <laughs> That's the good guys. <laughs> you know, so you're holding like you, the player are holding a gun to his wife's head. Say, you know, give us the stuff that that's, that's part of the good guy game. And yeah, it's, oh my goodness, you know, so realistic, so, so gritty. So whatever the buzzword is, but like, is that, should we be high-fiving about this? No, of course I don't not. Know. But the game does. The game yeah. high-fives it itself. The game high-fives the player. Is that bad? Yeah. Well, yeah, no, it's not good. But I don't Why have, have a moral it, obligation to change it. That's the kind of stuff that make people buy it. <sighs> what does like, that say about the people? The difference <laughs> between those two. You have you had your two games that you compared. Which out of the two of those was successful? Well, the Call of Duty one, obviously. Yeah. Exactly. The other one you said specifically, right when you introduced it, <laughs> nobody <That's> played fair. <laughs> it. <laughs> nobody wants to be preached to. So the preachy thing didn't work out. The having fun doing edgy stuff, that's what gets people doing it. That's what they want. Is I mean, if people buy your content and it has that kind of stuff, I don't know. <laughs> would I like them not to produce that kind of stuff? Yeah. Would I like people to not want that kind of stuff? Absolutely. Okay. But, I but you're, put, you're putting the uh, the responsibility on the consumer, though. That's what yeah, you're absolutely. Yep. <laughs> yeah, if you don't well, like I guess we answered the question pretty it, early. Don't then. watch it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you want to complicate things further, since you are the one who brought up video games. Sure. Who are video games marketed toward? I mean, today, everybody. But a lot of it's towards kids. I think the biggest group would be, yeah, teenagers, maybe even younger. Yeah. And are they the best decision makers? Probably not. So it's much easier to impose ideas upon them than rational thinking adults. Mm -hmm. They are much more impressionable. Now we're dealing with some moral challenges. We're, we're not dealing with someone who's got everything figured out. We're dealing with those who are impressionable. 
and maybe can't quite tell the difference entirely between right and wrong. Like they have some notions, but when you mess them up like that, I mean, they're, they're much more easily swayed by ideas that are brought their way. Sure. So, and I think there is like, there's barely a measure, right? Like these Call of Duty games are rated M, which is supposed to be 17 plus, but I don't think that's, that's not the who case for. anywhere. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Okay. Um, no, I think people yeah. are like, I think publishers are definitely hiding behind those ratings. No, we, we said oh. it's mature. We said it's R. You know, like it's yep. not for kids, obviously, but hey, kids, look how cool this is. <laughs> and, and that's that's a huge deal. Um, I I wonder at the rating system and what kids are able to be exposed to these days and all that stuff. Um, there, I remember distinctly flipping through Netflix one day and found this movie. It was the I think, what was it called? The Honor Society or something like that? I don't remember. But it's the girl from the uh, recent Spider-Man movies. She's the the blonde on the uh, the news announcements. You know, like you see, oh, okay. they're really awkward announcements and they <laughs> yeah, do yeah. their newscasting. It's her. She's the main character in this film. And then there's another guy who ends up, I think, being the love interest and it's Dustin, I think, from uh, Stranger Things. Okay. Yeah, yeah. The kid with the teeth problem, and anyway. So yeah, it's this. It's about this high school thing. She wants to get into college, and she's doing her best to look great on applications and all that stuff. So it's all about the honor society, and her name is actually Honor, I think. Um, okay. So it's one of those real creative pun type titles. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, and anyway, she there are like three people that are being considered for a position at this school or something. I don't know. I didn't see the movie. I'm just basing it off of what I saw in the trailer. Okay. Or <laughs> what I remember seeing in the trailer, which is even shakier. It's even worse. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> but... Anyway, it comes down to she is not a shoe in for this college or whatever. And so she's now starting to employ some uh, methods to get the other people, get the competition out of there, essentially. And okay. in the process, I think she ends up falling for this other guy who is one of the other three or the other two. Got it. So high school rom-com, essentially, sure. is what this thing is billed as. Rated R. Nice. What? <laughs> Rated what? R for what? Did they tell you? I'm I'm guessing language. I mean, I'm assuming language. Yeah. Um, but what? And then you've got things like you know I don't even remember how many reasons why, but insert number of reasons why. <laughs> that show. Who watched that? It was all teenagers because it was teenager stuff. Fifteen mm-hmm. was that what it was? Fifteen reasons why. Sure. I don't remember. Doesn't um, matter. Yeah. And that's some dark stuff too. 
suicide mm-hmm. and ugh, is that the stuff we want to be throwing out there for our young kids? And it was essentially for them. Um, I, I don't know. The things that kids watch and that are marketed directly toward them, even though it says it's for mature audiences, kind of scares me a little bit. Yeah. And like it's, I think teenagers and, yeah, I think teens are more impressionable for sure. Like the teens in early college. Uh, and, I, and I think they're more sensitive to violent things. Yeah. I think they're more sensitive to depression and like self-harm and suicide stuff. I think that's a big deal. You know, yep. things that glorify any of those things for teenagers can be really hard to like work through mentally. And I feel like that's dangerous, but yeah, I, I don't know. Oh, right before this podcast, I told you that my first video game was 007 Goldeneye and I was six. I was gunning down Russians when I was six, right? When I came over to your house, you had a little DOS demo disc. And whenever you weren't around, but I was at your house for whatever reason, I'd boot up Doom or Wolfenstein or shoot Nazis. <laughs> and your mom would get mad at me. <laughs> so uh-huh, like, uh-huh. I, I did not grow up to be a violent person at this point. Um, I don't feel like it's like pushed the needle towards violence in my mind or anything because of those. Says the guy that wants to join the military in another life. (laughs) A different life. (laughs) 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 Not this one. No, but like it's, uh, you know, like I, I did not become radicalized by it. I don't think. I have to judge myself on this one because I'm the only guy that can do it. I can see inside my mind. I don't feel like I've been radicalized by it, but I feel like some people could be and have been. Yeah, absolutely. And maybe this is where I'm I'm slightly coming from and where things start to get shady. I would argue that you have a nice core foundation that you can base your understanding of the world off of. You have family that are pretty consistent that taught you things growing up. Um, Yeah. Not many people have as stable as a home life as you had growing up, I would think. Sure. Um, And so in thinking of it that way, you had a, a means to process the information that was given to you. Other kids, probably a majority of people, don't necessarily have that stable life and have that means of processing the information. Many people, I think, are probably able to figure it out on their own, but they might be in the minority. A lot of people learn things from their surroundings and figure out things based on the information that's presented to them. So if you have someone who comes from a household where their parents are very not involved, you can't necessarily expect them to come out as stellar human beings. If they do, excellent. And you know that they've got some great internal compass, you know, guiding them along the way. 
but mm-hmm. but just because people can do it, I don't think we should expect them to be able to do it. Um. So, I don't know. Maybe I'm backtracking here. Maybe going on my other direction. You <laughs> you said I was putting it all on the consumer. When it comes to this this violent media presented to teenagers and stuff like that, to me, the consumer should be the parents, should be the guardians who are vetting this stuff for their kids that are not yet adults. They're supposed to be there to figure that out. You can't get into an R-rated movie. Um, you can't buy rated M games um, unless you're you reach the age cap. Um, but parents aren't doing that because a lot of kids don't have consistent parents. They come from broken homes. Um, they have one parent that says yes, another parent that says no, or they both say no, or maybe they have other things to do than concern themselves with their kid's life like oh yeah i forget i've got to take care of this thing um that's rough and the last thing that those people are considering is what kinds of media should they be consuming yeah so yeah i don't know i got a thought about that but it's trivia time all right It'll dance, it'll shimmy for you. Yeah, we maybe we really do need a jingle there. The first thing that popped in my head was like the that's all folks from Looney Tunes, but <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> like, can't do that one. That probably won't work. Well, okay. That's that's your copyright trumpet. infringement. Do something cool. All right. Um so I was kind of wondering, since we're dealing with media, mm-hmm. I was uh, wondering about how much income is produced by various sorts of of media, and so in kind of researching around, I got into this binary of of looking at who's better paid between different types of authors. One as a like a book author or another as a screenwriter author so out of the two of those which do you imagine to be typically more well paid great question i think i already know this (laughs) Ooh, well done um so your book authors are the high extreme so think like your Stephen Kings or J.K. Rowling's, your super high-paid authors. They're the high extreme. But if you're going to an average, just like your average author who's reasonably successful versus your average screenwriter, the screenwriters are better paid because they're union and are required to be so. Mm-hmm. So on average, you think screenwriters all the way. Yeah, but the high extremes of book authors, like, not even on the same chart, <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. That's my final answer. Okay. Yeah, I, I think that's 
probably a good there is no hard and fast answer for this one um but i think the reasoning that you come up with is probably about what i've been able to find the the highest paid authors make obscene amounts of money yeah yeah. And they get paid way more than the highest paid screenwriters. Um, the highest recorded screenwriter, so far as I can tell, is five million. Five million for writing a screenplay, which is okay. pretty dang good. But yeah, if you're I'm talking about the best books out there, you're in the <laughs> nine digits <laughs> you know <laughs> it's absurd I think so a franchise is in the billions right like so yeah it's it's nuts it's insane um so yeah there, there's that I, I guess if you have when with with the union situation that you brought up right you're having dues uh, or you're having a group that is bargaining for what kinds of uh, pay that you get for your your job. That's very different than someone getting paid based on success rate. Um, yeah. And so what what that ends up doing is putting screenwriters solidly in the middle area and book writers solidly on both ends of the extreme. Yep making pennies and making millions. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Kind I of interesting considering about that. Yeah. What's that? I listened to a podcast episode about this. So that's why I've got some background knowledge between the difference of authors and screenwriters. And Nicely done. So, Nicely done. Thanks. I didn't even plan yeah. that. Just, you happen to somehow know that stuff. <laughs> Yeah, Hollywood is just so heavily regulated, right? Because there's yeah. so many, uh, like, so many moving parts over the years. Yeah, that they, they had to make sure people got paid enough to live on <laughs> to keep Hollywood going. Because a lot of people were just getting the crappy out of them to make movies. So, yeah. But then the Offers. film industry is just such a huge industry, too. It's crazy. It so. is. It is huge. Yeah. All right. I want to talk about something that I heard on the internet that somebody took offense to. Have you seen the movie Midway? No. All right. It is a World War II film uh, made by yes. Roland Emmerich, I, I want to say. And, yes, I uh, think that sounds right. And it's uh, taking place about the events around the island of Midway. Which yes. Is Midway <laughs> between Japan and the United States. <laughs> a lot of in the middle. Um, Roland Emmerich also made a film, I believe it was called The Patriot, and uh, which was loosely based on this planet and events that took place on. And <laughs> he also made Midway. Um, in terms, he also of made my Independence Day. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, he did. So this guy sometimes makes movies that are close to reality and sometimes he doesn't um according to what i understand of history midway was closer to being accurate to what actually happened than independence day or the patriot or whatever other movies he's made 
Um, and the person that I was listening to talk about this took offense to the end title card. Like at the very, very end. So okay. to briefly summarize, Midway, uh, the Japanese are going to attack an island. And the United States broke the code and understood what was going to happen before it happened. And we got set up in an ambush situation. Um, the Japanese had better stuff. They had more stuff. And they had better trained pilots and things like that. We had crappier airplanes, less airplanes, and novice pilots. Uh, in terms of like numbers and things, I believe it was four aircraft carriers in the Japanese fleet versus our two. Um, and in the end, after this battle, we won because we had the tactical advantage of surprise and a couple other factors that, yeah, played a big part. However, like <laughs> the, the 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 loss the losses that we suffered were horrendous. Like. Looking at who got shot down, it's ridiculous. Like, if I remember the numbers right, out of a couple um, different groups of planes, it was the torpedo planes. Um, they're the ones that had to fly low and slow to drop a torpedo to hit a ship. Out of 35 planes of the torpedo type that were deployed, I think five of them got back home after Midway. Like, ridiculous. And... It was like at least half losses, whatever. Um, in the end, we blew up all four Japanese carriers, and the Japanese got one of ours. So in terms of carriers lost, huge victory for us. It was a turning point in the war. And then we, we started pushing the Japanese back after this. That's the movie. It follows some of the people. And at the end, it was this movie is dedicated to the American sailors that fought in this battle as well as the Japanese sailors and like their bravery. And at the very end, it says something like the sea remembers its own or something like that. So he, he's saying, you know, this is dedicated to troops on both sides. And, and this guy that I was listening to talk about this said, this almost ruins the entire movie for me because the Japanese military at the time was evil and should not be praised in any way. And this is a dangerous revision of history. That's saying that the Japanese military should be praised. And to give an example, if we did a movie about the Battle of Britain, where that's where, um, do you know the Battle of Britain? What happened in that? Yeah. Yep. At the end of the Battle of Britain, it says this movie is dedicated to the British Air Force and the Luftwaffe. You know, right? <laughs> dedicated to both sides you know the bravery of the, of the Luftwaffe to try and invade England <laughs> get on them you know respect and he was saying that's absurd right doesn't that feel absurd to you and that was his point that he was trying to make so I was thinking about it modern day Japan is very different than Japan back then but is it more important to respect modern day Japan and be like, respect to your soldiers that fought back in the day, your grandfathers or whatever. Or is it more important to say, you guys are, back then, were terrible. <laughs> and we should remember that. What do you think? I don't know. 
I think it's valuable to value life, whichever side it comes on. So respecting life, which is what it sounds like this was doing, is fine. To assume that those who were caught on one side of a battle are necessarily evil people simplifies an issue. I think mourning any loss of life is an appropriate reaction. Okay. Yeah. Were Nazis evil? Honestly, probably not. Did they do some really terrible things? Many of them, yes. Is it sad that they did those things and sad that many of them died? Yeah, all of the above. <laughs> I don't know. I, I'm wary of any wanton disregard of life. So, I don't think... If in your hypothetical scenario of having a film about the Battle of Britain where both sides are praised, I, I think that would be a false way of doing it. But if you say essentially, you know, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what moment of silence for those on both sides that died, I don't sure. think that's out of place. Praising, wow, that was just some. Some fine feat of bombing London. No, <laughs> I, I, I think that would be out of place for sure. But yeah. yeah. So in our in our hypothetical discussion here, like the uh, <laughs> the, the term Nazi is kind of used synonymous, synonymously with evil. But yes. you're right. It is an oversimplification of an issue because like, yes. are all communists evil? It's like, well, no. A, a lot of them are just cogs in a system that don't necessarily want to be there, but they have their own reasons for being there, whether that's just for self-preservation, for their family, for whatever. And they're just doing their job, right? Same thing with the whole Nazi party. Not everybody was an insane zealot. We like to hear the stories about all of those people because there definitely were plenty, but not every one of them. <laughs> you know, it's an oversimplification of things, like like you mentioned. <sighs> it's so very easy to just get caught up in things while they're going. So you can just imagine, you know, like Germany coming off of the Great War at the time and everything went to heck in a handbag. Their economies shot. Um, and some, some guy comes along and he's got the charisma and you think, dang, this guy's, this guy's got a plan. He knows how to do it. And he, he wants to make, he wants to make Germany great again. That, uh, that slogan should be slightly terrifying now, but, <laughs> <laughs> but that's where he was coming from, right? It was the idea that this guy's going to bring back all the respect that, my country deserves this is my home this is my place i love my home and he he claims he can he can bring us out of the pit that we've been dug into 
And I, I want to support that. And then maybe along the way, things start to get a little shady, but also maybe you're kind of in too deep now and you're not sure what to believe and who to trust or what to think. And the powers that be are kind of impressive at the moment and imposing. And if you go the wrong way, who knows what's going to happen to you and your family. So might as well just roll with the tide. Like, How many people like that in yeah. Nazi Germany? I don't know. And none of us know. And I just think it's way too simple to label people as evil. Sure. So like the, uh, I recently watched The Patriot <laughs> because it was one of those movies that I hadn't seen. And I'm like, hey, that sounds like a thing I would like, you know, American Revolution, kind of like that thing. I kind of like getting on the, uh, you know, America's great bandwagon occasionally, you know, wave the American flag a little bit, whatever. Patriot <laughs> seemed like a perfect movie for that. Uh-huh. And, and it was made... It was made to be that as shallowly yeah. as possible. Yeah, I think unfortunately. You're right. And I I felt irritated by it in a lot of ways. So main character Mel Gibson um is playing his Braveheart character in The Patriot. I'm not sure which one came first. But he's got a lovely home life, you know, great family, whatever. And the bad guys show up and kill a loved one and drags him reluctantly into war. Yeah, yep. that's it's the it's the plot of both movies. In the Patriot, he's a southern land plantation owner. And uh, a British officer rides up to his house with some British soldiers. And uh, there's a group of black individuals there just kind of hanging out. And the British officer is like, hey, if you fight for England after one year of service, you guys will be set free. And uh, the the leader of the group was like, no, sir, we, we do work this land and we're free men. You know, and I'm like, I got a little squinty eyed at that part. I'm like, there was no <laughs> southern plantation owner that didn't have slaves. I don't that That's not a thing. <laughs> no, he's right? the good guy. He freed them. Yeah, he's he's the good guy, right? Yeah, we can see the Americans are the good guys and the British are the bad guys. You see that? You, you get it? Uh-huh. Like, that was the message of the whole movie. <laughs> no, George Washington had slaves. Like this is history, people. You can't just be like, no. See, the Americans are the good guys here. Yeah, um, it's just it it bothered me that the British they they were British people. Like it was a revolution. Everybody was a British citizen at the time. Yes. Right? It wasn't this mystical separation between the good guy Americans and the bad guy British. You know, that's not what it was. And presenting it that way in this movie that's about the American Revolution felt wrong to me. Uh-huh. I, did, I didn't like it and it bothered me. And I wonder how many people thought about it that way because you're, you're informed audience. Okay. What's being billed for the Patriot is a an exciting story with Mel Gibson about the American Revolution and about American independence. 
that's what people are signing up for as an informed consumer. As soon as they watch that movie, they might walk away with very wrong interpretations of what history actually occurred during this time. Oh, probably, so what, yeah. So what level of expectation, like, you, so let's, let's go out away from the teens, go away from the whatever. These are informed adults watching a rated R movie about war, about a historical period. Is it on the consumers to bring their history books with them to check the yes. facts? Yes. Yes, totally. Are you kidding me? People don't read these days, <laughs> much less history books. And that's their fault, I would think. So here, here's the problem. If we are, if they are looking it. for historical knowledge via the Patriot and entertainment, then that's that's our problem already. Um, for instance, I, I enjoy watching some movies like that on occasion, not necessarily war films, but, uh, films based on historical events. Amazon came out with their film, the aeronauts. And I thought, Oh, cool. Based on real stuff with this, uh, the ballooning thing. And they like reached, they got the world record for a highest altitude reached. And it was like the pioneering of, um, meteorology at the same time. Because this guy who was in the balloon uh, was really trying to figure out how to predict weather patterns and stuff like that. And everybody thought it was just kind of snake oil. It's, it's not something you can actually do. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, so I watched it and I was kind of fascinated by it. And the main character is played by Felicity Jones. I forget what her, her actual character's name was. But she was like an entertainer. And she was a balloonist. Uh, so that was what her skill set was. She could do the ballooning and she entertained people by it and tried to set records and things like that. And the meteorologist is like, hey, we can help each other out. I need to get up there and you know how to mm -hmm. get up there and all that stuff. So kind of fascinating story. Well, in doing my research after the fact, I come to find out she does not exist hmm. at all. Which irked me. Like I was irritated that her character, this film, by the way, she is the main character of the film. It is okay. based around her. Uh, Eddie Redmayne was the other guy who is a real character, a real person, and he was based off of a real person, uh, the meteorologist. But he is like, he is a main character, but he's slightly secondary to her. Okay. And I was so irritated that this film billed itself as being based off of true events um, and just completely invented this person, <laughs> inserted them into history because it would have made a better story. But that's also what these films are for. It's okay. not, it's not a documentary. It's entertainment. And did I enjoy it because of its lack of faithful or did I enjoy it more because of its lack of faithfulness? No. And so it's my choice now to continue to pay into it or not. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and if people enjoyed it, then it did its job. Great. I also had the same issue with um, kind of like the lost city, which is another Amazon produced one about Sir Percy Fawcett going to find this, uh, he called it Lost City of Z in uh, 
in South America somewhere. Anyway, kind of a funky ending to it. Um, and then an- the other one with, um, oh, shoot. It's a musical, uh, The Greatest Showman, about mm-hmm. B.T. Barnum and yeah. his partner, the partner who doesn't exist. Completely right. fictionalized character. All these different things. And I'm thinking, man, ah, it's just irritating me to no end. But I only know that these people don't exist or that certain things were made up because I looked it up. Right. And those films, at the very least, got me to look it up. (laughs) (laughs) Things that I would not have looked up on my own. So what did they do? They piqued my interest on the reality enough for me to do some research and learn some things about things that I would not have known before. All the while presenting a fascinating story that was mildly enjoyable along the way. (laughs) And I think that that was actually part of the message of The Greatest Show, too, or The Greatest Showman. It's not called P.T. Barnum. It's not called Barnum and Bailey. It's (laughs) It's called The Greatest Showman. And so the idea is about him as a showman and i kind of figured out that the film itself wasn't about him and about his discovery uh, or coming up with the idea to make a circus or anything like that but the whole film was about being a good show (laughs) it was very meta And that here we're going to tell a story about a guy who put on a show and we're going to tell the story about him by making it a good show. It wasn't about being faithful to the history. It was just about being a fun show to watch. Okay. I think this gets back to like our expectation episode a little bit of like, did they ever advertise that this is the story (laughs) of PT Barnum? Let us at least tell you what happened to like, that's not what it is. Like, no, like it's a story that has P.T. Barnum in it, right? But they, they never actually said this is what happened, you know. Um, I, I think of – I had a thought about the thing. Oh, no, it's gone. <laughs> I'll add another movie example. Oh, yeah, there we go. Saving Private Ryan, right? Uh-huh. Um, it starts off with the landing in Omaha Beach. And – depicted some very realistic like warfare on that beach. But all of our characters that we get to know, none of them existed. All of them. Right? This private Ryan didn't exist. Um all, like uh so Tom Hanks's character didn't exist. All of the crew didn't exist. Like it's the the message of the movie was to show the horrors of world war two from an American perspective and show the difficult choices, show, show the feelings, show this is what, what it was like. This is what they felt. This is how this type of person responded. This is how this type of person responded. Here's a story about it. And at the, uh, since you're never going to watch this, (laughs) um, Tom Hanks's last (laughs) words to private Ryan after they find him, um, so this is Tom Hanks character and like Tom Hanks says, earn this, like earn, earn this sacrifice that we just put for you. Cause everybody that was sent on the mission died besides Ryan, I think. 
Um, so a squad of like 10 men all died, but they saved Private Ryan. And he goes home, and the movie actually doesn't open with Omaha Beach. It opens with an old man at a cemetery. And that was Private Ryan thinking back on the events. And so the movie is actually kind of potentially saying to the audience, earn this. Like, be worthy mm-hmm. of this sacrifice. Right? Yes. It never built itself as, let's follow the amazing journey of you know this particular captain or whatever, like in World War II. Like, this is a, it is set there as a setting. But here's a story within that setting being true to the setting and the time period. It's kind of what you're, I think it's kind of where you're going with the greatest showman a yes. little bit. Yeah. Yes. I think that's honest. I think that's good. Yeah. So there's, there's a, obviously different purposes at work here, right? That yeah. people are trying to get across. Yeah. Um, with those two examples, we just had things. Uh, they Saving Private Ryan had a message. Uh, Greatest Showman also sort of had a message, but it was really about putting on the show in honor of Barnum but not necessarily honoring Barnum by telling his story, honoring Barnum by showing people a good time like he would have. Um, <laughs> other films maybe are less explicit about that. The Aeronauts, I, I don't know of a really explicit message or purpose behind it other than there is an interesting story. Yeah, I, I don't know. And that, okay. that feels slightly dishonest, maybe. Um, another one that I just thought of while you were talking to your your mom, I think, is the one that alerted me to this one. But it's The Dig with Rafe Fiennes and Carrie Mulligan. And it was about, uh, it was during World War II, but it was a, the Sutton Who dig in Great Britain that mm-hmm. was like... Um, Basically, this they found these burial mounds with Viking stuff in it, and it had it proved what up till that point they they had thought like the Vikings don't have culture, art, or monetary system or anything like that, and this proved them wrong. It was like far earlier than any of the other discoveries they had made. And they had coinage, <laughs> they had pottery, they had all this kind of stuff. And they're like, whoa, what? This completely redefines everything we know about them. <laughs> um, and so that was kind of a fascinating uh, prospect to me to see some of the things that went on with this. Well, <laughs> the, the, it was such a strange movie. Like he kind of putters around at the beginning He's supposed to be the expert and he kind of makes some really dumb decisions and you wonder exactly what the relationship is between him as the archaeologist and the woman whose land it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, World War II just kind of happens in the background. You don't know anything about it. And then some other people come to help out with the dig once they find out that this is a legit thing. And one, a couple of the people that come are this newly married couple. Um, and uh, it was Lily James, the uh, same girl who played uh, the live action Cinderella. Lily James and her new husband, I guess. Uh, 
And so they're part of the dig and everything. And somehow this story that's builds itself as the dig about the Sutton Hoo discovery, the last half to two thirds of the film is about her strife with her husband and how they're somehow not really affectionate toward each other. Her husband's kind of standoffish despite her trying to put the moves on him. And then you find out that he's gay and he's like got a thing with this other guy. And then she has this thing with the other guy who's related to the main character girl. It's like her brother and all this stuff. I'm like, what happened to the dig? (laughs) 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 We ended up with a drama instead Mm -hmm. of a historical piece at all. And so that was irksome to me mm-hmm. because it was even titled The Dig and it wasn't about the dig at all. Hmm. It was about the romance between these characters. <laughs> and it was just absurd. I got so angry at it. It felt like it was dishonest in its representation. Um, okay. So it sounds like your issue right now is if it's not as advertised, you don't care what the message is necessarily. Uh-huh. You want the message to stand on its own merits. But if they tell you it's one thing and it's not that thing they tell you, that's where you're drawing the line. I get irritated. Does that mean that they haven't? Yeah, I mean, do they have a, I think we're getting back to, do they have a moral obligation? What is their obligation, their obligation. to me as the viewer? I think honesty is, it, is always an obligation, isn't it? Yeah, I think it is. Right? So then, yeah. There you go. Honesty. They have to be honest about the message. I, I think some messages you have to be dishonest about, if that makes sense. <laughs> Honestly, it's the honest ones you have to look out for. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, what, what do you mean by that? I, I can't think of any like feature film or like novel level dishonesty things but like uh hey check out this cool video on youtube it's about you know whatever and you send like your your buddy a link for it and they just get rickrolled right like that that's the intent of the message it's to like yeah yeah, like haha i gotcha is the message and you have to be dishonest to get that response right but But once i feel like that's the whole thing is completed you can see it for what it is. Yeah. And there is okay. honesty in that. Yeah. If that makes Speaking sense. Speaking of <laughs> unwanted love triangles or whatever. Um, <laughs> I'm paraphrasing Robert Ebert, the, the legendary yeah, yeah. film critic. And uh, Roger Ebert. He, he, Roger. Is it Robert? Roger? Roger Ebert? Roger Ebert. Um, he... he talking about the movie Pearl Harbor <laughs> said this movie is a terrible movie or whatever. <laughs> it, it, it details the Japanese's attack on an American love triangle. <laughs> <laughs> totally. totally. <laughs> tagline. And I'm like, that's hilarious actually. Um, because so much of the screen time was about this love triangle in Pearl Harbor where there's other things going on that are more important potentially to have screen time, but fine. So then here's the question. How do we fix it? How could it have been more honest? Like, Mm. is that story worth telling? 
I, I think it's probably their prerogative to tell that story, but sure. What what should be done to make it so that it's honest? How do we do that? Well, I mean, just literally speaking, changing the movie's title from Pearl Harbor to something else, right? Like Love in the Tropics, and then as like a <laughs> subtitle, set in World War II or during um, Hawaii or I don't know. On the island of Hawaii. Yeah, I think you might be right. Calling it Pearl Harbor is a misnomer. Yeah, because it's not about Pearl Harbor and the events associated with Pearl Harbor. It just happens to be, take place at Pearl Harbor for a lot of it. It's kind of the vibe of that movie. Um, the dig, right? How do you change the dig to be whatever? It's love at an archaeolog- archaeological site. <laughs> love and archaeology. <laughs> love and archaeology, yeah. Yeah. The truth about Vikings. I think that's, yeah, I think that's totally. Is it just marketing? <laughs> that seems, yes. Yeah. That's such, it, maybe it's such a simple fix, but changing the title and changing how the ads are presenting it. Um, if you're going to call it Pearl Harbor, it should probably be about Pearl Harbor. But if you're going <sighs> to. That's tough too, because every story you tell, every film you make, if it's not a documentary, then it's gonna be focalized around a cast of characters, right? Sure. So you've got a love triangle. Uh, you're gonna have to have some main characters that you're seeing the events of this experience through. So is that just our own expectations that are messed up? Because it was gonna be focused around some people always, or I don't know. Well, like uh, Apollo 13, right? There's a cast of characters there. And of course, important people are being cut out because there's just too many people. But that movie is pretty close to what actually happened, right? And like the characters are all based on real characters. They had, I think at the end, the classic, here's the picture of the real people thing, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know? Like they... uh, but the events are based yes. around a small cast of characters. Sure. It's like calling a, a film World War II. Fair enough. <laughs> you know, and then you're like, so <laughs> who's the cast of characters going to be? <laughs> so because Apollo 13 was much smaller in its focus, you had okay. a cast of characters that would be main characters from real life. So what you're saying in defense of Pearl Harbor is there's too many people at Pearl Harbor to yeah. focus on. Okay. Yeah. So I think I think just on the American side, we lost 3,000 or so troops in that battle. Mm-hmm. Like, and then there's all the Japanese doing all their stuff. That's quite a cast of characters, you know, yep. if we get introduced to everybody. So, okay. So, I don't know. I... Calling it Pearl Harbor probably helped their marketing, but then I can't solve that one. All right. Let's circle back to a movie that's not about historical events. Independence Day. It's not (laughs) about Independence Day. (laughs) Right? Independence Day happens to be a day that occurs in the movie, and there's a little speech about it, but it's not about Independence Day. It's about an alien invasion of the world. 
Well, I, I mean, that's that one's tough to get around in that. What Independence Day happens every year. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, if you're going to talk about the first one, maybe that's something. But this one, it, there's always going to be an Independence Day every July 4th. So I don't know that there's really a main story to be faithful to other than it happens it's, around that time. Right. But like is... That's just a creative title, then. That's kind of what you're saying, yeah. right? Like, it yeah. doesn't matter anymore because nobody associates anything with Independence Day beyond the original. If you're not talking about that, obviously, then it's something. Okay. And when you watch the trailers, it, it's an alien invasion. <laughs> <laughs> you, you get the concept early on. It's not like you're being the wolves being pulled over your eyes. You get to the theater and you're like, "What the heck is this? <laughs> Where's Mel Gibson? Uh, where are the muskets?" <laughs> 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 all right okay now i want to see independence day with muskets versus the aliens <laughs> i feel like that'd get really bad for you're probably gonna have a love triangle in there <laughs> definitely a love triangle <laughs> i don't know if we decided on anything during this but no, it was fun I, talking to you. <laughs> I, we started off with a really solid answer from me, and then it became yeah, less said, solid. No, there's no moral obligation. People could just say what they want, and we can't stop them. But I am slightly. No, we can stop them by not consuming their media. <laughs> <laughs> you and I can't stop them because everybody else is buying the stuff that we don't necessarily agree with. There you go. Yeah, everybody stops the ones that we like because they don't consume their media. <laughs> <laughs> With the exception of Brandon Sanderson, the best books. Uh, you, man, he should really pay you commission. I've convinced like maybe ten people <laughs> from our podcast. That's not true. I've actually like recommended the books to several people at this point. So. Hmm. <sighs> to finish we don't think there's a moral obligation people should be able to say what they want to say there is something to be said about protecting the children and the teens of the world from dangerous messages when they cannot be discerning of themselves and maybe don't lie to us in marketing because we're irritated by that we, we are interested in Viking archaeology not some stupid love trap All right. I think that's the sum up. Well, thank you so much, Eric, and thank you all for listening. <laughs> we'll catch you next week. Bye.